A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For weeks now, the prospect of a vaccine passport system has haunted the headlines. Last week, the government confirmed that it's going to push ahead with trials of vaccine passports at big sporting events over the next few months. Boris Johnson will give details of plans to trial COVID certificates at major sporting and music events. So-called COVID passports are said to be identified as key to reopening the rest of the economy. As things begin to open up across the country, they could be used to allow a entry to theatres and concerts. However, the idea hasn't pleased everyone. Now we discover that a vaccination may be a passport to the acquisition of your civil liberties. They're using the word passports, they're not. They're ID cards. We've got concerns around civil liberties and the slippery slope to an ID society. Uh, a bouncer at a pub could stop you going in just because you didn't have your, your papers or your, your app with you. More than 40 Conservative MPs have joined a cross-party coalition to oppose the government's plans and an online petition has gathered almost 350,000 signatures, suggesting the fears over COVID passports extend to the public too. We're going to focus on one of the reasons why some people are worried about the scheme. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, vaccine passports and data privacy. I'm the Times' tech correspondent. That's Tom Knowles. He's been on the tech beat for a while now. For two and a half years, one year based in San Francisco, and then since then back in a somewhat greyer and colder London. In a moment, Tom will explain how a COVID passport might work and what it could mean for your privacy. And he'll talk us through how much data we're all giving away on a daily basis. But first, if you're wondering what a tech correspondent does... Here's a little glimpse of Tom's world. There are so many different sectors and sort of fascinating developments within it. On Monday, I might be covering deep fakes, artificial intelligence, robots. The next day, it's Facebook losing users' data or my favourite type of story, which is companies adding Wi-Fi to things that don't need them, like a frying pan or a loose seat, both of which <laughs> are real examples, unfortunately. <laughs> so, a loose seat? That can't be real. Yeah, there was a, an Alexa toilet, an Alexa-enabled toilet where you could sit on your loo and then say, Alexa, to play me Radio 4 or, or whatever or dim the lights so <laughs> and it was about wow. $7,000 so not really <laughs> worth it but there you go this is how civilizations end isn't it exactly yeah so Tom one of the big stories that must stalk your working life 
is this fear of what's happening to our data. It seems to be resurfacing again now because everybody's talking about vaccine passports. Was there a moment when you realised how big a problem data was? One day I decided to download an app that monitors and blocks what we call hidden data trackers, or secretly sort of collecting data on your phone through the apps and the internet browser you're using. And within 15 minutes of downloading this app, it blocked 300 data trackers. Within an hour, it was over 500 data trackers. By the end of the day, it was over 2,000 hidden data trackers. They've been trying to sort of monitor everything like my email address, my home address, my age, my phone number, my mobile service provider, my exact location, the brightness of my phone, what apps I've kicked on, what time I'm opening an app, which other apps I have on my phone, the words I've searched online, how often I'm opening different apps. Among big names like Google and Amazon that you're seeing in this, there are tons of companies you've never heard of all seeming to handle and gain valuable insights about me. And I guess it was then I realized the amount of data collected on us, not just every day, or every year, but every minute is is truly vast. How long ago did you download that app? I downloaded it two years ago. By now, it's probably even more than 2,000 in a day. (laughs) (laughs) I I stopped using it for a bit because it was just too depressing in a way. What do they do with all the information? How does it get used? Well, data collected by these trackers is is sort of pieced together, shared, aggregated and and monetized. Essentially, it's to make money. And mostly, it's to sell adverts. They're also sort of working out if your app could be better. But those are the the key things that they're doing on, on average. We've had lots of calls from listeners this week who are raring to go to get their vaccines, but they're also a bit concerned and confused by the government's policy on vaccine passports. Uh, We're looking at the way these types of vaccination certificates uh, might work. They do raise all sorts of uh, issues. This has sort of become a big issue again because the government has announced we could be moving towards the idea of a, a vaccine passport From what you know of the technology that's out there, how might that work? The details are are very, very scant at the moment. But the government basically plans to introduce a vaccination certificate status within the existing NHS app. This is different from the NHS COVID-19 tracing app and is the app currently used for booking appointments, linking up to your GP's database to give you medical records and test results. Currently, to have that app, you have to provide your NHS number, your email address, your phone number, and have uploaded an image of your passport or driving license. What the government plans to do is update that app so it can become the digital COVID certificate that allows people to use their phone to prove they have been vaccinated or have tested negative for the coronavirus or for some reason can enter without either of these things. And if it is on the app as opposed to a card, everywhere you go, would you have to scan it? I mean, would people wherever you're going, be able to access your data effectively? Well, this is the key thing that the government's being quite quiet on yet, so we don't know entirely. But at the moment, I doubt it will simply involve flashing up your app to the doorman and saying, look, here's the page that says I've been vaccinated. Because that's so easy to just screenshot and send to your mate who's unvaccinated, and they can also get into that nightclub or concert or whatever. For that reason, extra verification process is probably needed to make this secure. Now, what privacy advocates are worried about is this probably means a centralised database. And what that means is when you go into a venue and scan this app, your details will have to be checked against some 
some database that can go, yeah, this person has been vaccinated. We know who they are. Let them in. Now, whoever controls that government, uh, that database, whether it's the government or even some third party developer that the government's entered into a contract with to handle this, means for that moment, they know where you've gone. The government or whoever could build up a map of where you go. And, mm. you know, they might say, oh, we'll delete it after 28 days. But I imagine a lot of privacy advocates would still be worried about this. And also, we don't have a great record on producing apps to deadlines. What if it takes so long to produce this app and we spend millions producing it and then by the time it's ready, sort of everyone's been vaccinated and, and things have moved on? <laughs> as as uh, <laughs> I, I have a feeling might end up happening. I mean, if it doesn't, if this does all go to plan, are we right to worry about data so much? As you pointed out with your app that you've downloaded, is it something we're just doing all the time anyway? I'm kind of torn about this. I, basically, in my opinion, privacy is a fundamental right, right? It's recognised mm. by the United Nations. And just because we have these sort of tracking beacons in our uh, pockets called smartphones and have somehow ended up giving up quite a lot of our personal data to the likes of Amazon, Google, Facebook, I don't think we should therefore just say, oh, let's give up and give everything extra data to anyone, including the government. I mean, there are obviously going to be benefits to this vaccination app. But the idea that we will willingly tell the government everywhere we go might seem a bit draconian. I, and, and you know, you might say, well, I haven't got anything to worry about. But what if this database is used later for a prosecution case? Or mm. if you're, you know, what happens once COVID dies down? Are we still going to use this app for something else? I mean, I just feel it's a slippery slope. But there's upsides and downsides. At the same time, you, you get to go into festivals and pubs and so on. And, and that's also quite a, to be a good said thing. That. <laughs> yes, exactly. Tom, you personally, do you feel more comfortable knowing that a, a huge firm like Google has all of your data? Or is it the government in particular that worries you? I'd probably rather not have either. But to be honest, the government were really put in their place by Apple and Google when the government tried introducing a COVID-19 tracing app where Apple said, we don't want you having lots of detail about you know, where people are going. We're going to make that very hard for you. And it suggested that people like Apple are really focusing on data and make it their, their key thing. And therefore, they're probably protecting it slightly more than the government might do, where even if the government has best intentions, maybe it doesn't have the same sort of security around data that Apple does. I sometimes don't trust the government with IT infrastructure. <laughs> and therefore, I'd almost prefer someone like <laughs> Apple to handle my data instead. We'll come back to the issues of data security and privacy in relation to a potential COVID vaccine passport app. But let's just pause for a moment and find out a bit more about the data we're already giving away. If Tom's data tracker app is right, we're all leaking information all the time. So I asked Tom to pick three examples of where our data is already being collected. Your smartphone, your smart TV your smart speakers, and then possibly your card. I know you said three, but those are the four I'd <laughs> be most sort of fixated on where, where, when it comes to your data. Well, talk us through them. So the phone, which, you know, in modern life is like a, an extra limb, really. You know, we're rarely separated from it. How much of your data is it gathering? 
on average, any app on your phone has about at least six trackers from other third-party companies whose sole purpose is collecting and tracking people and their personal information. And then through that, they build up a profile of you and then they feed you adverts, essentially. The danger is, do I want them to know that much information about me just to send me a slightly more relevant advert? On top of all of this, there's stuff like, there's something called session replay, which some apps use, which essentially lets developers record the screen and play back to see how a user is interacting with their app. God, that's quite eerie. (laughs) Yeah. It's quite uncomfortable to think somebody's monitoring you that closely. And perhaps what's even more uncomfortable is often a lot of this information will happen when you're sleeping. There's been investigations to find that these hidden data trackers, they'll essentially store this information that they've built on you during the day of what you've been doing on an app and then exchange it during the night when your phone has more battery and you're not really noticing your phone being active. For example, you know, I'll download a free running app. A few hours later, I'll see adverts for running shoes and weight loss on my Instagram feed. And that's because the data from one app has been sold to Instagram. In some ways, ultimately, is this not making everything much more efficient for you? You're seeing the ads that you might actually be useful for you as opposed to things that are meaningless. That's what these apps developers will say they will say that you are therefore getting more interesting relevant ads and also we'll be using this data to work out if maybe our app needs tweaking but there's just something quite unnerving about the fact that there's there is (laughs) these third-party hidden data trackers might not know my actual name but they'll know my more or less exact location they'll know if i'm single they'll know if i'm looking up church services or they'll know if i'm religious you don't always quite know what they're doing with that data and who they're selling who they are selling the data onto or if they're being careful with it so this is why it's scary i think and are companies doing anything to try to limit that now yes so apple have finally come down and said enough is enough apple have really prided themselves on being a very privacy-focused handset company. And I think they've got a bit annoyed with people who kept saying, well, that's all well and good that your actual Apple device doesn't collect any information, but all these apps that are on iPhones are collecting lots of information. So Apple, in their next software release, apps that track user data for advertising purposes or share data with data brokers will now be required to show you a prompt saying, is it okay for us to do that? And Apple and a lot of advertisers think that probably a lot of people will say no. (laughs) No thanks. This will be a huge difference. I have to say Android, which is owned by Google, the, the sort of operating software for almost any other phone apart from iPhones, is not doing this. But on iPhones at least, this is a big change coming down the line. In a moment... Tom reveals who might be listening and watching your habits while you're at home. But first, for more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Sign up today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hold up. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And you also mentioned sort of smart TVs and some of those household items. People have been worried about, you know, things like Alexa for a while. There's always sort of, um, you know, lots of urban legends about how it seems to be listening to you all the time. Is that true? Yes and no, basically. I mean, there's not a man sitting in Amazon's offices listening in every time you ask Alexa to, I don't know, play Radio 4 or give you the weather. <laughs> mostly Thank that's God just that. an auto- Yeah, exactly. Mostly that's just an automated process. But it was revealed two years ago that all smart speakers, Alexa, Apple Siri, Google Home, what they'll do is they'll take occasional snippets of conversation from any device around the world it could be your alexa it could be someone in romania india whatever and check if the smart speakers understood what the person was saying correctly and then they'll transcribe it annotate it and feed it back into amazon software so maybe you weren't saying the word taylor swift correctly according to alexa and then someone will listen and and sort of tweak it slightly but the scary thing is, is that someone is listening during that period and that, that's at random. That could happen at any point. That could happen at any point. A lot of the time, it's not even you asking for Alexa. It will be Alexa or, or whatever, Google Home, being triggered by something that it thought sounded like Alexa or Hey Google. The danger is of that is that these transcribers, who are often contracted third-party workers, are hearing stuff that they probably shouldn't be hearing. There's stories of, well, they've heard domestic abuse, where they feel that maybe, you know, they think they've had a man hit a woman and they don't know what to do. They've heard people having sex. They've heard people reading out bank details accidentally. Mm. All, all of this, this stuff. and and really worrying. And to be fair, Amazon and all these other places say we have very strict privacy controls about how you can't use that data. But a story by Bloomberg a couple of years ago said that these transcribers were going on to chatting with each other about their best anecdotes of what they've heard, almost to relieve the stress of some of the stuff they're hearing. After I read that story, I became a lot more reluctant to use smart speakers around the house. And you also mentioned smart TVs. What are they up to? Every few minutes, most smart TVs, not all of them, but most of them are sending a report back to the developer, say Samsung, and sort of working out what you're watching, 
what you paused at, what you fast forwarded, and through that can build up adverts, essentially, again, and send you personalized adverts. So you are not just watching the TV, it's watching you, essentially. (laughs) If your smart TV is also connected to the internet, your smart TV is also retaining that data. So it might be seeing what you're searching through your TV. And there's not many ways to opt out of this. Normally, there'll be like a very, very long terms and conditions thing that's like 20 pages and it's on your TV and it's quite hard to read through and you probably wouldn't anyway, so you just press accept. And you also mentioned cars. So clearly, it's not just <laughs> not just in your home that your privacy is being invaded. Cars is an interesting one because a lot of people might be happy with what the car does. So most car makers have some sort of tracking device in their vehicles now. And that's basically in case of a car crash. So in 2015, the European Union passed a law that made it compulsory for all new cars by 2018 to contain tracking devices that can alert emergency services. So say you have a serious crash, that will immediately prompt an automatic call to the nearest emergency centre. Even if nobody in the car is able to speak, the tracker will still be able to relay the exact location, the time, the direction of travel you were going in, the scale of the impact and whether airbags have been activated. So that is, you know, that's great, I would probably argue. That could save people's lives. As you're probably expecting, there are, of course, some downsides. Always a downside. So Mercedes got in hot water a couple of years ago when it was revealed it was using this location sensors to check where a vehicle was if a person defaulted on their finance plan with the company and then sharing this information with third-party bailiffs and recovery firms that can repossess a car. Tesla, if you've got a Tesla, knows lots of things about you. It knows your your mileage, when you're braking, when you're accelerating, when you're using their autopilot-assisted driving feature. With all of this, I mean, it does feel like every part of our lives at the moment is pretty much being tracked. Do you just sort of have to accept that that's the price of modern living now? What I think is interesting is increasingly, A, some tech companies are starting to hamper down on that as we discussed apple and then b i think some regulators around the world are saying enough is enough last november the government announced it was setting up something called the digital markets unit it's part of the competition and markets authority and one of the things it'll look at is the lack of control for us the consumer over the use of our data I think regulators are waking up to it. Some tech companies are waking up to it. And also consumers are starting to say, wow, I didn't realize how much data was being handled. I think there'll be a slow shift away from this. But at the same time, I think there'll always be other ways to sort of gather data about you. So there will still be people also trying to work out ways to feed you advertising. And maybe there's an argument to say that isn't bad. It can help industries. Journalism is one where it often relies a lot on advertising to help it. If that involves more personalised ads, and that means more journalists staying in jobs, then maybe it's no bad thing. It's a toss-up, really. But yeah, so it it is changing, I think, a little bit. And in terms of regulation, it sounds like Apple, for example, has decided to do this on its own because it's realised that's where sort of public interest is now. Is anybody else trying to regulate the market. I mean, is there any hope of an independent regulator or are governments introducing more laws to try to protect our data? We've got GDPR, which has changed a lot of things. In the UK, we have the Information Commissioner's Office. Agencies and governments are being aware of it. I would say Apple can afford to do that because 
they don't make their money from this. So Facebook is free because they make their money from selling you adverts. So of course, they have been quite against Apple's plans. Apple just relies on you actually buying the hardware. So they don't really care so much. And therefore, they can go on a pedal stall and say, we care about privacy. Uh. So there, there is a slight alternative motive where they can look like the good guys and not it barely affects their bottom line, whereas someone like Facebook are tearing their hair out about this. For most of us, I mean, there just isn't really the option of opting out, is there? I mean, short of turning off the electricity supply and becoming a hermit. The thing we have to accept is that data will be collected on us. That is mm. unfortunately now just a fact of life. The thing is how that data is handled where the debate should be. I think the government does have to be the one who takes control of this kind of thing. And coming back to the idea of a vaccine passport, for a lot of people, I think their big fear is that this is a slippery slope to ID cards. We're hearing that a lot. Is that something we should be worried about or is, is that an entirely different idea? Um, I don't think it is something we should completely disregard. I think the government in power is tends to historically be quite against ID cards. It's probably something we're not going to adopt. But I think the danger is, is that you adopt this in a crisis and then it just stays there. And then people are saying, well, you've got that ID card in your wallet. Let's try and use it for something else. I guess it, it's a slippery slope. It could be. that's that, And that's why, you know, sometimes it can seem a bit ridiculous, these privacy advocates and so on really kicking up a fuss about every little level of give and take or giving to the government or whoever or the NHS or some third party to to make life easier and more secure. But it's to stop things that you're not even aware of yet, that maybe five years down the line you've realised, oh, we've we've now allowed this to happen. It's too late to reverse anything. And now we've given one extra piece of information. Now we, we always scan when we go into a pub and therefore mm. there's always someone knowing that we're where we're going at any one time. That's quite extreme example it probably won't happen but it's something you have to be aware of i think and if it is the nhs who end up sort of monitoring this and running the app or the passport however it's done they already hold so much of that key information on us and our health our ailments should we feel comfortable about that or i know recently there have been fears about what they do with the data too to be fair to the NHS, at the moment, they are trying to just use that data during the coronavirus to make things better, whether it's working out, you know, where there's an infection hotspot rising or where ventilators might be needed more and so on. But I think it, I'd, I'd probably be sort of OK with the NHS having my medical, my medical information is fine. It's just when you step outside from that. And I don't, I think they've been quite strict about how information is handled by third parties. So there's a US firm called Palantir, which has, you know, caused some controversy because it works for places like the FBI and CIA and, and the Homeland Agency in the US. But it seems like the contracts have been quite strict and they're just there to sort of clean up the data and make it more efficient and usable for NHS officials and government officials but it's something you've always got to watch and, and there are luckily lots of lawyers and, and cybersecurity people and academics who go through all of this sort of contracts and everything by a fine tooth comb there are people out there looking out for us and sort of checking that 
these things don't go down a slippery slope and, and everything is is properly accounted for. And in the course of our chat and this podcast, for anyone who's still listening, I hope you are, in the period that they've been listening to hear this episode, what sort of data will it have gathered? We've been chatting for about, what, 25 minutes, and most people have probably been listening to their podcasts on their phone. Podcasts themselves actually traditionally have not been that bad at collecting data on you. Saying that, companies like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and Google, which all offer apps and devices that play podcasts, they are in the best position to collect user data on you because they already have data on you that they've collected through their other services. And they can combine that with what you're listening to on your podcast to sort of build up a better shape of who you are. You've probably not just been sitting here listening to your podcast. You might have been, but maybe you've been walking somewhere and listening to this podcast on your phone. Chances are there's an app on your phone, maybe one that requires your location, like a weather app or a mapping app, that has been sending your location to a server somewhere every few seconds, enough to work out where you are, where you're going, and serve adverts based on that. Maybe you've passed a fast food chain and it serves you ads on a burger. If you've also been pinging in and out of other apps while listening to this, they'll have been sending lots of data to those hidden data trackers we talked about earlier. So probably in the half an hour you've been listening, I would say around 300 to 500 hidden data trackers have probably tried sending data about you or about something you've done on your phone in the past half an hour. Oh, just just the three to 500 then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing too major, but significant enough to uh, continue building up a pretty good profile of who you are. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Tom Knowles, The Times technology correspondent. You can find Tom's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. You can email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.